Praise the Lord. Good morning. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to uh, Proverbs 29, verse 18. Proverbs 29, 18. How's everybody doing this morning? Praise the Lord. All right. Maybe a little more excitement. How's everybody doing this morning? All right. Much better. <laughs> Great. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we um, open up your word, Lord, with... Um, Lord, with um, cautiousness, Lord. We recognize the responsibility that we have as the church. Lord, to um, have your vision in our eye every day, Lord. Your heart, your desires, your purposes. Uh, Lord, your desire is to seek and save the lost. And that should be ours. Every one of your purposes, your plans, uh, should be the first thing we think about every day, Lord God. Your heartbeat, your heart, Lord. Lord, I pray for us, Lord, that we would have it. And uh, we pray these things, Lord, together. In your name, Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Very well-known uh, scripture there where the, there is no vision, the people perish. Uh, Another translation says, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. So I want to look at this verse, the title of my message, just this, title of this message is Vision Test. Vision Test. How many have ever went and had a eye test? And uh, I know for the first time... I'm 50 years old, and last year, at the age of 49, had my first vision test. And I've always had really good eyes, and I spent a period of time where I was studying uh, specifically probably 12 to 15 hours a day. And I read and read and read, studying for a test, and I spent a lot of time studying. And uh, by the time I got done, I couldn't hardly see. And so I went and took a vision test. They gave me glasses. And um, they, I wore those glasses for a little bit. And then after I quit studying, guess what? My eyes went back to normal and I haven't worn them since. And, uh, but how many know sometimes we need to test our vision to see if we're seeing okay? To see, uh, how many know it causes a lot of problems <clears throat> when you're not able to see clearly? It causes a lot of depth perception problems. It causes a lot of problems when you're driving. It causes a lot of safety issues when you can't see. And boy, it's so much nicer when the doctor helps you with a pair of glasses and you're able to see clearly. And so today what we want to do is we want to have a spiritual vision test. We need a spiritual vision test. Why? Um, We're going to look at this scripture and it's going to tell us why. The Bible says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Or where there is no vision, the people become unrestrained. 
And so we begin to look at this, and um, this word, first of all, that I want to look at is this word unrestrained or perish. And in the Bible, when you begin to look at this word, um, it literally means, it's the word in Hebrew that is parah. And the word parah in Hebrew means to disengage or fall apart or come loose. And so what it means is if the people don't have whatever this thing is called vision, the people will begin to disintegrate or fall apart. And notice it says the people. So it says where there is no vision, the people. It doesn't say the person. It says the people will perish. The people will fall apart. The people will disintegrate. The people will come loose. The people will not have cohesion. And so we need to figure out who are the people, plural, it's a noun that is plural in the Hebrew, who are the people that fall apart and don't have cohesion. In fact, the Bible uh, interprets the word in And some of the translations is perish, meaning they're perishing. They're actually disintegrating, falling apart, loosening in their resolve. They're, they're not, they don't have any cohesion anymore. And as I begin to look at this, the Lord just began to stir my spirit that this is where the church is. The church doesn't have cohesion. The church isn't all together. The church is falling apart. The church is not united. The church doesn't have cohesion. And the Lord said, address that issue. And we begin to look at it and and we see an example of this word in, in Exodus chapter 32. Now, some of you remember Exodus 32, uh, verse 25. It actually says that when Moses came down from the mountain, the people were out of control. How many remember this story? Moses went on the mountain, had a uh, visitation with God. They were waiting for him to return. And as he was on top of the mountain, the people noticed that he was gone for a very long time. And so they just assumed, I guess, that maybe he wasn't going to come back. And so while he was not returning, it uses this word para. That the people just lost, uh, they became out of control, they became, they loosened up, they basically had a wild party. How many remember this story? A wild, drunken party took all the gold, made an idol, began to worship other gods, and it's because of the fact that they lost their vision. They, I mean, just imagine, you say, well, how would they do that? God did so many miracles, but their leader, their vision was Moses. Moses was leading them to a promised land. Moses was the leader of the nation. They had a vision when Moses was around, but when Moses wasn't around, they were just a bunch of people in the wilderness. And they began to kind of relax. They began to loosen up a little bit. They began not to have that same cohesion that they had under Moses. And so where there is no vision, the people lose cohesion. And so it goes on in another place, 1 Samuel chapter 3, this is before the birth of Samuel. It says that in those days, 
It says in the child, this is 1 Samuel 3, 1, child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. Some of the other versions say, New King James, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. New American Standard, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. Listen to the Amplified. The word of the Lord was rare and precious in those days. Visions, that is, new revelation of divine truth, were not widespread. How many know there are periods of time when there is no vision? There's periods of time when it's dry. There's periods of time when people lose their vision. There's periods of time when people lose their focus. There's periods of time when the people have no cohesion. They have no vision for God. They have no vision for reaching the lost. They have no vision for reaching the community. They have no vision for what God wants to do in the world around them. And we're in one of those times. In fact, we may not say it and we may not recognize it, but the Bible says when there is no vision, the people perish and we see the evidence all around us. And we may say to ourselves, it's not my fault. It's not my fault what's going on around us. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. But how many know where there is a vision, the people don't perish? Where there is a vision, there is cohesion. Where there is a vision, there is unity. Where there is a vision, God's church is marching and doing amazing things. But where there is no vision, there is no cohesion. And so as we go on... We look at the world around us and what do we see? We see a world that is changing extremely fast. Is that an understatement? Is everybody with me still? We see a world that is changing very fast. We see events that are changing so fast, we can't hardly keep up with it. We don't know what's happening all the time. How many would say, I don't exactly know what's happening. I don't exactly have a handle on it. I don't exactly know what to do. And sometimes that has a paralyzing effect. How many know sometimes we as the church can feel paralyzed? Like we're just, uh, what do they call it? Paralysis by analysis. We're watching the events unfold and we're saying, what do I do? How many can feel that? Hallelujah. I'm not saying it's you. I'm just saying, how many feel it? I'm not saying you're paralyzed. All right. Hallelujah. And how many know it can bring us to a complete stop? Instead of moving forward, doing what God's called us to do, sometimes we just stop. So what's going to happen to us? Are we going to disintegrate? Are we going to lose our cohesion? Are we going to fall apart like the scripture says? Or are we going to have a vision? That's a choice. Do we fall apart through paralysis and analysis 
and stand still or do we move forward with a vision? So I'm going to ask you a vision test this morning. Do you have a vision? Do you have a purpose? Do you have a calling? Do you wake up in the morning and have a vision of what God's calling you to do? Do you have a plan to fulfill that vision? You say, well, Chad, I've got a plan. I'm not hitched on any other vision. I myself have a vision and a plan. And I'm telling you, if you can accomplish it, it probably didn't come from the Word of God. Because His plans, everywhere I see in the Bible, is bigger than anything that I can accomplish alone. And His plan is so big, I can't accomplish it alone. The, 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 the problems alone are so big in this community that I can't, as an honest person, walk out the door and say that I have a plan on my own to solve those problems. You can't walk by this elementary school. You can't walk by the hundreds and hundreds of children you encounter every day and say, I've got a solution. I've got a way to reach young people in this community. I've got a way to reach the orphans. I've got a re- way to reach the fatherless. I've got a way to fix the, uh, uh, the, the poor and the needy of the kids that are in this community. The teenagers that are reaching out. The teenagers that are committing suicide in this community uh, today, tomorrow, next week. The kids in this community that have addictions. The teenagers in this community have nowhere to turn. The adults in this community, the elderly in this community, those who are shut in, those who are in nursing homes. You can't tell me alone that you have a vision to reach all the problems that you're going to encounter in one day alone. And so I ask you, test your vision and tell me if you have a vision that is acceptable to God and is going to reach his purposes and his calling. Hallelujah. This is a vision test. The Bible says where there is no divine vision. In fact, that word literally looked up that word vision. And it literally means a divine. Where did I find, find that definition here? It is a revelation, a vision, or an oracle. It all points to, it's the word hazan in Hebrew, and it points to some form of divine communication. Hazan. Do we have a divine Hebrew hazan? Do we have a vision, a direct communication from God that here's what we're going to do? And you know God in the Word of God, gives us commands that are really crystal clear. He gives us commands about reaching the lost, winning the lost, connecting with the lost, teaching the lost, maturing the lost, and sending people out into the field to reach the lost, training people up. But you know what? The Bible is very ambiguous or unclear about how we're supposed to do that. Do you understand that? The Bible is intentionally, intentionally unclear and ambiguous. It tells us what to do, gives us commands on what to do, but it doesn't exactly give us detailed information about how we're going to get there. It doesn't say step one, do this with the people around you. Step two, 
call a meeting and do this. Step three, do this. Do you know why the Bible does that, I believe? Because in every situation, it's different. Every community, it's different. In fact, in one place, God said, uh, the men of Issachar understood the times. They understood the times they lived in and they knew what to do. Hallelujah. How many want that to be said about you? I understand the times that I live in. How many know that there has to be a vision on the west side of Evansville? There has to be a vision or what? The people will perish. And you say, well, who has this vision? And my hope is that every church in this community has a vision. And you say, well, good. Everybody take a deep breath. Good. Somebody has written a vision. Can I tell you that vision is worthless if there's nobody to accomplish the vision. So there are a lot of places that, number one, maybe they don't even have a vision written. Maybe they haven't had a divine communication with God written it out like the Bible mandates that we do. How many know I'm mandated by the Word of God to divinely communicate with God and write on a piece of paper that vision and put it in your hands? How many know that is available for you today? That vision addresses everything God has called us to do as a church. And I would just pray That you would take that vision and read every letter of it and know it better than I do. Hallelujah. And you say, well, man, Chad, that's just a human piece of paper and something you wrote down. No, God, I'll repeat again, is ambiguous. And you agreed with me, I believe. He tells us what to do, but doesn't tell us how to get there. He says, prayerfully consider my commands and do the things that I'm asking you to do. And he expects us to do it. Now, why would a church not have a vision? Number one, maybe it wasn't written on a piece of paper. Number two, maybe somehow they lost that divine vision. How many remember the church in Revelation? He said, remember your first love. How many know divine vision can be lost? Like you can have that divine vision, you can wake up every day, you can have that love and say, man, God, I'm going to fulfill your vision on earth. But how many know sometimes things just get in the way? Like, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to be able to make it again. I'm not going to be able to make it again. I'm not going to be able to make it again. And every one of those reasons are good reasons. I'm not knocking the reasons. But how many know sometimes we lose that divine vision that God has for our life and it becomes second? Then it becomes third. Then it becomes fourth. Then it becomes fifth. And then you say, where did I put that thing? And then you start falling apart. What am I talking about? I'm talking about a life 
that's being lived aimlessly. That's what the falling apart is. You don't get up in the morning with a vision for what you're doing for God. You don't have a vision as to how you're going to do it. You're ambiguous. You're unclear in your life. You wake up in the morning and say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, what are you doing about your mission? How are you fulfilling that mission and that vision in life? And you're not connected to a clear, identified, written vision. So you wake up every day and you're ambiguous. Yeah, I have no vision. This is a vision test. Are you passing? You might. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just giving the test. I'm just saying, hey, look, right here, read this line. Read this line. (laughs) Okay, I hate those things. All right. Maybe the vision was a false one to begin with. Maybe the vision that you were following, in fact, one of the things we went through with our vision, you know, that we've been going through on Monday nights is the fact that some churches are very strong in certain areas, but very weak in other areas. How I many know that you can be strong in the area of connecting, but maybe that vision doesn't connect people. Maybe the church is so shallow that they only connect, but they never really preach the gospel to them. They never really see change in somebody's life. They never really teach them deeply in the word. They never really mature them in the Holy Spirit, and they never really send them to win other people to Christ. How many of you know you might have a false vision that you're pouring your life into? So you may not have a true vision that is the heart of God, that meets the desires of God's heart. Another thing is, you may have never even had a real vision. How many of you know that some people go through their whole Christian life and maybe never had a vision for their life? It's just, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I committed my life to Christ. I'm so happy that day happened. What have you done since? Yeah, that's an intentional silence. We should be able to say, well, man, after that day, I've been fulfilling my call to reach the lost. I've been growing in Christ. I've been raising up people to reach people for Christ. We should be connected. How many know not everybody's a visionary? But we should be connected to a vision where we're fulfilling the work of Christ. Hallelujah. Vision test. (laughs) Sometimes we reject a true vision. How many know this happens? You say, well, I attend a church, but I'm not really supportive. You better find another church then and find somebody you're supportive of. Hallelujah. If you're not connected to the vision of that church, then why are you there? Connect to the vision. You say, well, no, I don't like that person. Well, you better find somebody you like because you need to be connected to a vision or what happens? You'll shrivel up and die. Hallelujah, you'll shrivel up and die. So we've got to be connected to the vision or the people will perish. 
Number one, what what is required with vision? Vision requires, get this, this is very spiritual. Vision requires goal setting. The goals of a godly vision are not determined by our desires. That's simple but true. I mean, oh, God's vision that we're to follow is not based on our desires. It's based on God's desires and God's heart. So whatever God's desire and God's heart is, that's what our vision is going to be, his vision. And normally in a worldly goal setting, how many know we accomplish those goals through human efforts and ability? This is the mistake of a lot of churches. They try to accomplish it through human efforts and abilities. And how many know it's going to require our human efforts and abilities, but it has to be completely through the Holy Spirit? Hallelujah. That means that through very, very many prayers and fastings, God is going to accomplish His will through our human effort and abilities. How many know that's true? Hallelujah. It's not like worldly goal setting. Listen to this. Proverbs 16.9 The mind of man plans his way. Right? Very much our effort, right? Man, Man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. The steps of a man, this is Proverbs, Psalm 37. The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong, because the Lord is the one who is holding his hand. That's by David. Hallelujah. I mean, no, the steps that we take are the day in, day out thing that we do to be obedient to the Lord. But how many know it's the Lord that is actually directing our steps. In fact, I had another scripture here. What did I do with it? Listen to this. The plans of the heart belong to a person, but the wise answer of the tongue is from the Lord. That's Proverbs 16.1. I'm sorry. Yeah, Proverbs 16.1. In fact, listen to this. It says, without consultation, plans are frustrated. But with many counselors, they succeed. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer on the tongue is from the Lord. So how many know the Lord delights when we start taking steps to fulfill his will? And the answer that we give is from him on our tongue. So when we focus together on accomplishing his will... He's going to direct our steps. He goes even further. He says he's going to delight in directing our steps. And then he's going to put the answer on our tongue to help us accomplish the steps. And it says there that with many counselors, they succeed. The Lord really checked my spirit. And about a week ago, he started telling me, he said, Chad, that is not a... um, That is not a ministry council that you have there. I said, well, what do you mean, Lord? 
He goes, it's not a C-O-U-N-C-I-L. I said, well, what is it? He said, it's a C-O-U-N-S-E-L. Because a council sits and listens and determines. But a council, C-O-U-S-E-N-S-E-L, basically comes together and through that many counselors, you'll succeed. How many know if I presented a vision to you and I asked you to be my counsel, C-I-L? How many know it's my vision being approved? But if I ask you to be my counsel, C-O-U-N-S-E-L, it becomes our vision. And you say, well, what are you asking us to do? I'm asking you to look at a blueprint. How many know that when an architect comes in And in the mind is a building. He sees the building. How many know an architect sees the building even though it hasn't been built? In fact, uh, there was a story of um, uh, Walt Disney's widow. And I believe it was the Epcot Center. And she stood in front of it and she was invited to be the keynote speaker. And uh, there was the building finished and completed and he had passed away, I guess. I believe it was the Epcot Center. And they asked her to give the speech, and they said, ma'am, as they were introducing her, they said, um, if only he could see what we have built here today. And she stood up and she said, he did. How I many you know an architect sees the building very clearly? A lot of people don't have that talent, that gift, or that skill, let me say skill, of an architect to see the building. But can I tell you, an electrician will come along and he will have eyes for only one thing. He'll see every junction box. He'll see everywhere where those... He'll be oblivious to everything else probably. He might see the room. He might see where they're plugging things in. He might see different things in that building. But you know what? He sees the electrical functions of that building. A plumber will come in and boy, his eyes are... Tuned a little different. He'll see the exactly where the plumbing comes up out of the concrete for the every single toilet, every single sink, every single you know. Then the roofers will come in and um, they won't even look at the blueprint. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's a joke. I'm sorry. But, but how many know that there is a need for the whole blueprint? And so some people say, Chad, why do you bring a vision in? It's a five-year vision. And can I tell you, it's dangerous to do. Very dangerous because some people get overwhelmed when they see a five-year vision. They look at it, and, and I'll promise you, if you read it and you're not of the same mind as me, you may get like, man, this is too much. We can't do this. It's impossible But can I tell you, I can see the blueprint. I can see what it looks like. I can see fully built what it's supposed to be. But all I'm asking you to do is come in, read the blueprint. Give me counsel. Make it your own. And let's come up with five things, just five things that we can accomplish. And you say, well, man, five things, that's it. Let's find the five highest priority. Allow my board to come together and... Give me your counsel. 
let's come together and say, hey, these are the five areas that in this blueprint I think is the highest priority. And how many know everybody's list is going to be different? The five things, that's it. And you know if a whole church can come together and accomplish only five things, that's it? You say, well, we can do that pretty quick. And I'm thinking, good, because I want to go to the next five things. And man, we can tackle that and accomplish that. And can I tell you, if we just did 60% of that vision, it would transform this community. I promise you, it would transform this community if we just did 60% of what's in that vision. And so I'm telling you, a vision is exceptionally important. And here's what God does. God gives you a big vision. God gives you a vision that's bigger than what you can accomplish. How many know when David Wilkerson was a little country preacher in Pennsylvania, and I've been to that church in Pennsylvania, and I've been to that church in New York City. And when you walk into that church in New York City, New York City, the Hellinger Theater is a beautiful theater, multi-levels, overflow on every level. How many know when he walked into New York City as a country preacher, parked on the most dangerous street in New York City, didn't know that the most murderous gang in New York City lived there, approached a man to minister him, did not know that was the most dangerous gang member in New York City. How many know that he had a vision for a church in that city that God was going to build? And how many know that that was impossible? That was impossible what God was calling him to build in that giant massive, scary city in the worst district in New York City. Back when New York City was dangerous, the most dangerous time in New York City, there were heroin addicts, drug addicts, that street was terrible. And how many know God gave him a vision to build it on that street? If God can give that man a vision in New York City, how many know that God can accomplish that right here? And so what God will do is give you a big vision And guess what God will do? He'll take the big vision and he'll ask you to pull little chunks of it out and give it to the people. Take another chunk out. Give it to the people. All God is at is very simple, church. If I just had 20 people, 20 people that said, Chad, I'm 100% committed to this vision, we would change this community. 20 people. That means I'm showing up. I'm there. I'm committed. I want to do it. I'm putting everything behind it. I believe in the vision. Let's accomplish. All I'm asking you to do is let's make a one-year vision. Let's start with five things. Then you know what we'll do next year? We might have done those five things, moved on to the next five things, and next year we'll have another one-year vision. And the following year, we'll have another one-year vision. And you say, well, man, I don't know if I can do that. If you don't do it here, I encourage you to do it somewhere else. You've got to be connected to a vision. You've got to wake up in the morning and say, I am committed to this vision, and I want to do it because the church right now, I'm not talking about this church, the church as a whole is, has lost cohesion. It's lost cohesion. 
and they're not together, they're not united, they're not putting all their resources together to accomplish great things. Vision, <clears throat> give me a few things about vision here. I went way away from my notes here. Give me one second. Okay, vision requires goal setting. Number two, vision will connect the present to the future. Vision connects the present to the future. Listen to this quote. A man without a vision is a man without a future. A man without a future will always return to his past. Let me get down here. I don't think this thing's working. Everybody hear me? All right. It says, A man without a vision is a man without a future. A man without a future will always return to his past. That means if you don't wake up every day and have a vision of the future and what you're trying to accomplish for God, guess where you will go? Back to the past. You'll never grow. You'll never expand. You'll never grow in the Lord. How many want to grow in the Lord? We've got to have a vision. Hallelujah. Vision is like a telescope. In fact, a telescope's kind of funny. I was, you never know where you're going to end up when you're studying for a message. I was trying to remember what those pirate things were where they look across though. And I was saying, that is not a telescope. You know, and then I looked it up and sure enough, it's a telescope. This is from the, uh, Website, Nautical Tools of the Pirate Trade. It said, the telescope is called the Brigham Near. It's iconic when it comes to ocean navigation. It's used to spot landmarks, islands from a distance in order to plot a course. It also allow people to spot enemy ships and bases at a safe distance. Boy, that preaches. Those pirates can sure preach. Hallelujah. Vision. Vision helps you look and lets you spot what's in the distance. Let you see what is ahead of you. I mean, you know, a lot of people don't have anything ahead of them. So when there's something turbulent or when there's something that's an obstacle or something's in the way, they stop. But how many know you won't stop if you know what's on the other side? If you've really got a vision and that vision is really worth something, if we're really here to implement a vision that Jesus Christ has died for and called us to do, then why do we keep stopping? Why do we stop every time we have a money problem? Why do we stop every time we have a a minor incursion with the enemy? Why do we stop? But if you had one of those pirate telescopes, if you had one of those bring them nears, right? Maybe you would see what's on the other side and maybe you wouldn't stop and maybe you would keep moving and maybe you would move through something and maybe you would stay stable and maybe you would stay on course if you could just see what's in the distance. And church, the only way that I know to do that is to have a vision. You'll go through so much if you have a vision. You'll go through so much if you're connected to a vision. But we need a vision. How many know a vision is sometimes like a GPS? You know, cartographers, map makers, for a very long time, weren't nearly as good as making maps until they came up with helicopters. 
I mean, no, when you had a helicopter, you could actually go above and you could see a lot of the things. Otherwise, you had to go by land and try to find ways to measure land, use trigonometry and all kinds of different sciences to try to measure and make maps. And then we started to get aerial photographs. And as we got aerial photographs, you could see all the different things. The maps got better and then we got satellites. And now anybody can go on an app on Google Earth and you can see the flat earth. All right, don't go there. Don't go there. But you can go and you can see all the details. And how many know that's what a vision does? The vision gives you perspective. Vision gives you an ability to look from above and see what you're going through, what's ahead of you, what you're, you're fighting for. But if you're aimlessly going through life, you have no context. You have no ability to fight through anything. But church, we have to be connected with a vision. We need perspective. Vision reveals your future destination. What do you want to accomplish for God? And the enemy has put an obstacle there. Now imagine that I'm on one side of Evansville and I'm trying to get to the church in Henderson and there's no bridge there. How many know vision builds a bridge? That bridge was built because of vision. They knew that we had to get from one side to the other. And how many know the ingenuity of ingenuity of engineers would not have been put to good use had they not needed to get to the other side? And so when we look at the Word of God and we apply that relevantly to our community, how many know it causes us to build bridges and gives us a future destination? Somebody said, well, heroin addicts are incurable, Mr. Wilkerson, which is what they said at the time. And how many know by the time he was done building that bridge, they had like an 85% cure rate. The Library of Congress did a study to figure out how they were curing so many heroin addicts. How many know vision builds a bridge and solves problems? You say, well, man, could 20 people solve those problems? We could solve a lot. And if we solved a lot of problems, it might be 30 people then. It might be 40 people. It might be 50 people. We might have 120 people like the early church and we might turn the world upside down. Hallelujah. Vision is a revealer of truth. Jesus said our eyes are the windows of our heart. Paul prayed that our eyes would be enlightened. Our eyes perceive and our heart makes a determination. I mean, oh, our eyes are a revealer of truth, our vision. If you don't have good vision, you don't have a good revealer of truth. You know that you uh, sometimes are in a virtual reality. What I mean is, how many have ever watched a scary movie and you were scared? You weren't in a location where there was a man with a ski mask killing people. Yet you had all the emotions of being in that place, right? You weren't falling off that mountain that they just fell off of or that high place they fell off of or in that dark place were about to be attacked, yet you felt all the emotions of what was in that place. How many know that when we don't have a vision from God, 
we have an alternative reality and it's the same reality that the world has. And that's why we're paralyzed. That's why we're not doing anything. That's why we're just standing still. But God reveals the truth of where we're at and what's going on around us. And we don't have to live in the same virtual reality that the world lives in because we have a vision of God. We know exactly what we're doing from day to day. We're not standing still. We're not paralyzed. We're moving forward. We're doing the work of God. It hasn't changed yesterday. It hasn't changed today. Today hasn't changed tomorrow. We've got a call. We've got a vision. And so church, we need a vision or we're going to be paralyzed. Vision gives... I already did that one. Vision requires a great sacrifice. Think of all the great people that accomplished great things. Now, how could they accomplish a great thing without a vision in their head? Why would a construction crew go through all that hard work? What would they be like if they didn't have a vision of the future? If they didn't have a blueprint that showed what they were building, how could that whole crew be united to do all that work except knowing what the final product is? And so apply that to the church. What are we doing? What do we do? We just show up randomly. We show up aimlessly. We have no plan. We have no purpose. We have no goals. I mean, no, that's what's happening in most churches across this country. Can you imagine if every church had a vision, every church had goals, every church had a one-year plan, everybody was praying over that plan, everybody was united, everybody was building it, everybody was working tirelessly, day after day, and that's what a construction crew does, but a church can't do it. Why? Vision requires faith. The vision must be written down to accomplish it, and you need to read it, and you need to make it your own, and you need to pray about it, and the vision needs to be administrated. Faith. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven thirteen, after it talks about all the great deeds of people of faith, it says all these people were still living by faith when they died. They died and they were still living by faith. That means as you go through that book, Abraham had a vision. He wasn't doing it blindly. He wasn't doing it because he didn't see anything. Abraham had a vision and it says, he's seen a city whose builder and maker was God. And it said he started moving toward that city. And it says when they died, they still hadn't received what they were promised. Abraham went to the end of his life, still chasing after that city whose builder and maker is God. How many know that uh, Abraham was promised descendants that numbered the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky? How many know four generations later, when they went into Egypt, there were still only 70? He never seen it. But he kept moving toward it. How many know they've seen so many things that happen? We think about faith in terms of linear 
We think of man, I live and I die and I better get all my rewards before I die. But how many know you need to get that telescope out? You need to look a little further. You need to look at the other side. You need to look at all the people that are going to be affected long after you die. You need to look at this community, how it's going to be affected. We can't keep walking into this house and acting like we have no vision, no purpose, no plans. And and we can't cross our arms and say, I'm not going to do it because I don't like so-and-so. Or I'm not going to do it because my schedule is too busy. We need to get that telescope of faith out and say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? What am I supposed to be doing? I want to wake up every day. I want to be hitched to a vision, Lord. I want to be hitched to your vision. I want to accomplish your goals. I want to do something before I die. I want to move in faith. And I don't want to stop to the day I die. I want to be like these people who are still living by faith when they died. Hallelujah, that gets me excited. I'm sorry to yell. Should I not yell? I'm sorry. I don't want to yell. Hallelujah. And it says uh, they were persuaded of them and they embraced, which means they greeted it and saluted it from a distance. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet this morning. Every time we preach a sermon, there always has to be a challenge. Always a good sermon always challenges. In church, I would just challenge you to read the vision that we have for this church. And I would challenge you to help me with our board. Put down five things. The most important, highest priority. Let's try to come to, get this word, agreement. And we agree on five things that we want to accomplish as a church. Put our mind to it, accomplish it, and move to the next five. How many think we can do that? Hallelujah, church, we need a vision. Praise God. Let's pray. And I just want you to pray about this. We're going to sing a worship song here, and I just want you to think about it. But church, we need a vision to be hitched to. For so many, not just the people in the community, but we will wither up and just aimlessly go through life. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray right now, Lord. your vision, Lord. We're hungry, Lord. Oh, Lord, in a time where there is no vision, Lord, in a land that is thirsty and dry, Lord, raise raise it up, Lord, like you did in the time of Samuel, Lord. The word of the Lord, Lord, let it live in hearts, let it breathe, Lord, let us wake up with passion desire to accomplish your will, Lord. Let us apply ourselves, Lord, to do mighty things in our generation, Lord. Whatever days we have left, Lord God, let us commit ourselves, Lord. Oh, let us commit ourselves to your vision, Lord.
the Lord. I'm going to close with this. And uh, this is a strange, strange analogy, I know. But it's so fitting. I used to, uh, I used to read and used to know a lot of people that I went to school with that were really into the drug culture. And they were drug dealers. And I used to be amazed. I used to be absolutely amazed at some of the things that they would do to grow, distribute, hide drugs. The ingenuity and the intelligence they used in their operations I used to think I used to always say they're so sophisticated and they only use that intelligence for their job or for their life think how far they could have gone and it always amazed me I'd shake my head and just be shocked at how much time and energy and intelligence they used for something so bad but I can say the same thing for Christians if we used our intelligence our resources our time our energy and we truly gave it all to Christ and we were united it wouldn't take very many of us imagine what we could accomplish Imagine what the church could do if we took everything that God has given us and just say, God, we want to fulfill your heart in this community, our time, our energy, everything that I have. I've got a passion to see people in this community loved. If that's all you did, I want people I want people to know you. What could we do, church? And the church so many times is preoccupied. It's preoccupied. I just pray. In fact, I think it was uh, D.L. Moody who said, The world is yet to see what a man fully given over to the Holy Spirit What can God do for united and fully good? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, we have a heart for you. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would take all that we have to offer, Lord, and use it for your glory. Lord, let us bury resources before you in the fertile soil of your work, Lord God. Let us bury it and let us die and see what you'll do with it, Lord. We pray these things, Lord, over this church. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Tomorrow we'll be meeting at 6.30 if anybody would like to join us.
Jesus and the minister council. Hallelujah.